What is up? Welcome to Forefront 360, a podcast where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm your host, Cody Schweikert, and I have the pleasure of having poet Ryan Diaz on the show for the second time. Uh, Ryan Diaz is a poet that lives in Queens, New York with his wife, Janice. Did I say that right, Janice? Yeah, you got it right. She'd be very happy. Shout out, Janice. I think I met you for like 30 seconds at uh, the Christmas recording thing that we yeah. did. So. Cool. We're here because, uh, dude, you wrote another excellent book of poetry. Um, I've been reading it this week. Uh, just finished the last uh, five or ten poems this morning. Um, I'm a procrastinator, but that, <laughs> don't don't take that as any disrespect. I love the I love the book, man. Um, oh, good. Yeah, dude. So uh, it is your second time on the show. We had you on yeah. last year uh, for. The title of that one, the first book of poems, was For Those Wandering Along the Way. Yeah, I got it. Right? Yeah. So that one I loved as well. Um, and we got to chat with you about this. Uh, and I know what you're thinking. Well, this is my second appearance. I don't have to do the lightning round questions again. Um, yeah, that, that might, might have been what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's where that's where you're just dead wrong. Um, okay. Because I've, I went back in the archives. I uh, figured out the la- the last round of lightning round questions we asked, and I've got totally new ones. Uh, they still involve like fighting animals and really weird questions. Amazing. Um, so we're gonna run through these before we get into uh, the poetry. All right. All right. Let me let me prepare myself. I'm ready. Yes. Okay. Hit me. Get in this state of mind. Let's go. First one. Uh, we know you're a Queens man, but what is your second favorite borough in New York City? Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn. My parents were born and raised in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, butter or olive oil? Butter, hands down. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Paris. Mm. Excluding the Bible, if you could take one book with you on a deserted island, what would it be? I'm going to be really pragmatic, so I'll pick something really long. Um, I'll do Brothers Karamazov. Nice. Okay. Okay. Uh, same question, but pick a movie. Uh, I'll go Fellowship of the Ring. That's a good call. Good call. Um, Nate, Nate will appreciate that, our uh, Forefront founder here. He's, <laughs> he probably would be on right now, but he, I'm sure he's rewatching the Rings of Power episode like up. 50 times. Yeah, I got to um, all the details. Yeah, dude. Uh, okay. Uh, would you rather enter the octagon with a grizzly bear or five king cobras? I'll go five king cobras. There's no way I'm taking a grizzly bear. Um, mm-hmm. That's just not happening. Five king cobras, if I can avoid like their little bites and stuff like that, I feel mm. like I could wrangle them up. Okay. Do wrangle some damage. Them up, tie them in a bow. All right. Stomp them out, you know? I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one. Uh, next question. St. Francis or St. Ignatius? Oh, um, St. Ignatius. It's just the cool idea of like a soldier becoming like this like pious saint is pretty cool. Mm, good. Okay. Uh, favorite book of the Bible? Ecclesiastes. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, dogs or cats? Uh, this is always like a trick question. Um, I, I I always go cats because it's controversial. Wow! But I have my reasons. Okay, give me give me one or two reasons. So, dogs are an extra layer of responsibility, mm. and being someone who quite enjoys my life, which is I don't have kids, <laughs> I am married. But besides uh-huh. that, and besides work, like you know, I have a lot of free time, and so. Right. Cats take care of themselves. They are, they they're solitary. They're honestly a lot like my personality. Like, you know, they okay. sit in a corner, they do nothing. I like to sit <laughs> in a corner and read. There's just a lot of synergy there. And also, I live in New York City. You deal with mice all the time and rodents. And so, oh. you, 
it's there you go. the double security of oh. go to any New York City bodega. There's a cat wandering around. Wow. For that very reason. See, this is a whole world. I don't even know about this. Is <laughs> I, you? You might have convinced me just now because dogs are really high maintenance, man. Oh um, yeah. They are cute. Uh, they love you, and they won't attack you for no reason. So they have that going for them. But yeah, I I I, I see your points. Yeah. When I see people at five o'clock in the morning outside walking their dogs, that's just not a life I want. <laughs> Fair it's enough, dude. In the, yeah. in the rain, in the snow, like, it's not like there's yeah, a backyard dude. to let them run around. You know, you have no, to no. be committed. That's true. That's true, especially in New York. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, dude, this is our second interview. Um, listeners, if you want to get to know Ryan more, uh, all the pleasantries, you know, what's your favorite color kind of stuff, you can go back. Uh, it's not that far back in the feed, our first interview with him. Um, it was just last year. He also read a poem, I think about mary yeah oh was that okay that's the one that stuck in my mind because i read it uh in this yeah you gave us a sneak peek at your book last year at at our christmas event and uh, that was an awesome poem i was like oh my gosh that's so good uh so uh i remember that one specifically you have uh, a whole new book though and we're gonna jump right into that because the last episode uh we talked more um generally and this i want to get real specific because you you created a a sweet book and it's worth talking about so um we're glad to have you let's jump right in this book is called skipping stones um i wanted to ask oh actually i forgot the most important question uh how's your typewriter doing how's your baby it's 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 doing good um, actually, She's still to, functioning. Still functioning. I actually need to get a new, um, like a ribbon. So you have to repl- they dry out after you use it enough. Wow. The ink ribbon. So you got to get it out. Get it on Amazon for like eleven bucks. Wow. And then you replace it. Get ink all over your fingers because you got to thread it back in. So as you're typing, the ink ribbon moves. So you can keep getting fresh ink onto it. Wow. So, but besides that, she's fine. She's she's beside me right now. You know. Wow. Joining us for the podcast, <laughs> dude. It's just it's like a comfort. Uh... Yeah, for you. it's my cat, um, you know, it's like, it's, I don't have pets, but I have a typewriter, you know. You're just petting the typewriter throughout the stuff, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I definitely remember that. Uh, I'm like, well, I already respect this guy because he, he wrote a great book of poems, and I read it, a uh, great poet, and then you told me you used a typewriter, and I'm like, oh, the poems are even better than I realized if they're, you know, they came from a typewriter, so. Of course, you uh, know. <laughs> yeah, props to you, sir. Uh, let's talk about this book, um, Skipping Stones. As I read it, the... You know, it's it's the title of the book, but it's also, I think, the third or one of the first few poems in the book uh, yeah. is titled Skipping Stones. Uh, I kind of read that as like a metaphor for prayer life. Am I on the right track with that? Tell us how you came up with the title for the book. Yeah, um, I think for me, poetry and prayer are synonymous acts. They both require um, silence and solitude. They both require like introspection and so like the poetic act and the act of prayer like one in the same for me and i think it's i part of when i was thinking through the the, i was going to title the book the original um title was called platitudes in prayer um yeah i heard that yeah Yeah. and i changed it because you know I, first, I was like, even though I like the alliteration, yeah, yeah, I don't think I many you... <laughs> pe- people remember what platitudes are. Yeah, yeah. But the idea was just like um, the idea, like in our in our society, prayer has become very much about platitudes. You know, yeah. it's saying the thing, 
saying the things so you don't have to deal with the uncomfortable things when things happen in our world, right? People say, oh, my thoughts are in prayers or right. with you. Okay. And it's like this. And so I wanted to like, also, also like, what is the role of poetry in a modern society, right? Like people mm-hmm. read less poetry, people are engaging less with poetry. Mm-hmm. And so like, are, is poetry and other platitudes like prayer? Oh, all, wow. So all these kind of ideas are kind of coalescing. And then when I wrote Skipping Stones, um, yeah, so I... I, the imagery came from just an experience as a young man. I used to go to like this wilderness camp with a friend of mine's when, we, when I was young during the summers. We used to go for like a week, and they would have this lake, and we would skip, skip try to skip stones across the lake. And mm-hmm. it's this very much like this s- symbolic of like this act of faith, right? It's this you're you're sending this object, hoping that it goes across. Mm-hmm. Um, hoping that it lasts as long as possible. And I think we do the same thing with our creative endeavors and this, we do the same thing with prayer. Mm-hmm. We we take these things, these things that are very personal and dear to us and we hope they make it to the other side. We kind of throw them out into the ether. And mm-hmm. even if you're, I, myself, you know, being a Christian and you're be- even a person of belief or faith, there's still this sense in which when you're in a ro- room alone praying, it's it's very much like throwing something out into the void. And even though you have this perception of God's maybe presence, his imminence, his closeness, it's still experientially very much like skipping a stone. Like, will it make it to the other side or is it going to just sink like a rock? And Mm -hmm. so you're right in your assessment that it's both about prayer. It's like, what do I do when all, when I don't know what else to do? And so I kind of hurl this prayer into the dead of night, hoping Mm -hmm. someone responds or, or the same thing with like our creative acts, like poetry. We kind of put these things out into the world and hope that they have some sort of longevity, that there's something more to them than just their kind of momentary existence. Mm. Okay, wow. So now I'm, I think I get it more fully now because I, I definitely caught the metaphor of skipping stones as prayers, but uh, you, you kind of, you don't use them interchangeably, but you really draw the comparison of prayers and poems and creating and that's what uh, you've already said a couple minutes ago but now i'm thinking about rosary which is the last poem uh in the whole book yeah and uh this is a lot you know i'm seeing a lot about how do i how do i end this book um i'm kind of folding like aimlessly like origami this paper uh what's i'm sending it out into the world and i don't have much control over it like prayers uh yeah just awesome let's let's you want to respond to that? Yeah. The rosary I, one? Yeah. Yeah, I think Rosary was the, was the last poem I wrote for it. And I think, you know, it's it's sort of symbolic of, like, the act of, like, finishing a book of poems or even, like, a poem itself because they're never really finished, mm, you know? They're, exactly. And yeah. so it's like, you just like a rosary, you can go, you could theoretically end, end a rosary prayer. And those who are familiar with the Catholic tradition, no, you can, like, end... You do pray your ten decades and things like that, um, but I think for me it was a kind of like. But you th- could keep going. Like there is no really end to prayer. There is no really end to poetry. Right? There's that line from Paul when he talks about praying ceaselessly. There's the belief in the Eastern Orthodox tradition of like the prayer of the heart, the prayer of the breath. Mm-hmm. That you know it's the Lord Jesus, Son of God. You breathe in, breathe out. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And even that our breath becomes prayer. So like, it, right. th- there's these things that wordless groans. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, and they begin to have like these 
even though they're finite, they have this infinity to them that they could keep going. And so, yeah, I think kind of Rosary kind of hits on that where it's like, will this all make sense in the end? That last line, you know, will, will these mindless moves will finally make sense? Like this idea that in this, okay, this book is over. Will it all make sense? Is there mm-hmm. some sort of purpose and meaning to all this? Which kind of goes back to the first poem in the book, yeah. um, which is um, platitudes. Because it's like, will these things work? Like, And so it kind of both, it begins and ends on this question of like, what is the purpose of all this? Why am I writing these poems? Why do we read these things? Why do we pray? Um Will it all finally make sense after we've done all the moves, we've gone through the pages, now we're, we're right back at the beginning. Um, yeah. And that's the beauty of a rosary is like you, you, you end where you begin. Mm. And a lot, a lot of us who are creators, like that's the act. We, you begin with the idea and then you end with the realized idea, but you're right back at the beginning. Like what does yeah. this mean? Will people yeah. respond to it? Same thing yeah. with prayer. I love that, man. Uh, one, one of my professors from college said something that I never forgot. He says, you know, some of the best art doesn't uh, try to answer questions. It asks questions. And I feel like you do that really beautifully. Uh, it's not a platitude. The book is not a platitude. And it's not overly sentimental. And it's um, it's honest and raw and uh, asks big questions. And I feel like I, feel like I know you uh, pretty well, <laughs> even though we've spent, like, very little time together. Um, yeah. I've, re- I've read, like, two pretty personal books yeah. entire you know two entire collections of your poems and so i i know that you um are always asking questions about everything and analyzing and looking beneath the surface um and so we get a lot of that from this book uh i i really noticed three different categories if i could mm-hmm. if i had to take like okay the, there's lots of poems in this book and each one can loosely at least fit in three different categories you have uh the reflections on childhood you have saints from the past and like the brokenness of the modern world. Yeah. Um, what is the common thread that links these together? Do you agree with that assessment, first of all? And how do you see like each poem belongs in this book because? Like, yeah. I, I think it's awesome when you get to hear other people read your work because they're, you're looking at it in a way that, you know, once it's this weird experience you have when writing because first you're writing individual poems and those are a world their own then you put them together and some poets are very conscious in how they arrange books um some so so like the idea of Seamus Heaney's like north it's a very like those poems are all meant to sit and belong together and they're telling this 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 kind of narrative that's like underneath the surface of all of them and a lot of it's connected to the violence in Northern Ireland at the time and things mm-hmm. like that and the troubles um, but you know some other books they can feel a bit more you know random or, but I, I think there is no randomness I think it's all intentional so I think yeah putting the books together I wasn't necessarily thinking like oh I'm gonna do a bunch of poems about my childhood a bunch of poems about saints right. But I just started, like, every poem I was writing at that in this time period seemed to, like, keep going back to one of these themes. Um, childhood simply because I think, you know, and this is part of fun, like, you get to, as when you, when you read an author, you get to know them a, a bit more. And so, like, for me, this was, like, the first time kind of going more into, like, putting more of myself into the book in terms of, like, my, my own story, a bit more autobiographical. Mm-hmm. 
And part of that, I think there's just a lot of unresolved stuff from my childhood I'm still, like, processing through as a person. Yeah. And so part of how I've done that is, poetically, is just to explore those things for, just for myself. And, yeah. you know, they happen to now be in a book that people could read, but they began as experiments in, like, trying to process my own, my relationships with my father, my relationships to my family, um, just my my experience of growing up and now being a man who, you know, is in the stage of life where I could have kids. And so I think there's that. Then then the kind of the saints piece, like saints have always fascinated me. Um, the, Cause I'm, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm a person who's fascinated with extremes. And so mm. um, I have like these, these two like hidden, like fascinations. One was with saints where I just find, just a st- like I have a book behind me on my bookshelf. Um, it's called The Little Flowers of St. Francis. And it's all these books, all these stories about St. Francis. Some of them are like, they're just um, so, like the extremes he's willing to live at, the poverty, things like that. Like mm-hmm. what drives a person to take life so seriously that they, there's no half measure for them. They're living these, comp- or you read about like the Christians, um, the early Christian monks who isolated themselves on top of spires and things like that. Or like St. Anthony who lived by himself cloistered in the desert. Like what mm. drives a human to do that? My second fascination is also on the up, up, opposite moral end of like people who've lived really wild lives. Like you mm. think about writers like Jim Harrison or Jack Kerouac. Um, like I'm fascinated with men like that as well, who or Hunter S. Thompson. Like they they live their life to the extreme, and sadly, from some of them, you know, it, in for some like some Hunter S. Thompson ends in suicide, and so mm-hmm. really, it's, it's a life of debauchery and, and, and wildness. But it's Hem- Hemingway or Hemingway. I love Hemingway, yeah. right? Like like yeah. these big personalities that took yeah. no prisoners when it come came to living. But yeah. pa- the, the fascination, but even though they seem like so different saints and like you know wild riot writers of the past, it would be like mm-hmm. there's this willingness to commit to life in this full-bodied way. Um, and then we finally get to like, yeah, there's some poems about the brokenness of the world. And so I think to answer the long-winded way of answering your question was I think part of part of the connection maybe through them is in childhood, you're still not confronted with the brokenness of the world. You're, mm-hmm. There's a sense of innocence. And there's actually, I read a poem in this book about my pet turtle, Charlie, as mm-hmm. kind of like a loss of innocence, right? Oh, That's yeah. The yeah, moment where like, you're confronted with death for the first time oh, yeah. in a real way. And so, so, but then once you grow up, you have to confront the brokenness of the world. And it's just, it's reality. And what I think a lot of the pivoting to the saints and why I find them so fascinating is here are men and women who are able to live within this broken world mm-hmm. in ways mm-hmm. in which they seem to have these full fantastical lives that seem to defy reality right there that's why we talk a lot when people get skeptical about saints you know like a lot of it's very mythic it's that's why they call them hagiographies right when they write about saints it's these like holy sanitized version of these people's lives or their visions of like what human life could be like in the middle of a broken world can we live full Mm. lives so full they seem fake Wow. Um, they seem like a myth, and so yeah, maybe that's how they all connect. Is you have yeah. to you have to move out of childhood, confront the broken world, but then you have to find a way to flourish in that world. Wow! And all Dude. that's an act of faith. 
Wow, you! I asked the. That's a really hard question to answer. And I, <laughs> I, I, I almost didn't even ask it because I'm like, well, I've never put together a book of poetry. It must be really yeah. difficult. And uh, you just you crushed that, man. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't see that. But that I just don't... thought about all that right now because again, yeah, like it's yeah. like you don't think about it when you're right. writing it, but to have your have your thoughts on it, you, like it's like oh, maybe it's all is connected, you know? <laughs> Crazy man. Oh, it's so good. Um, quick, uh, like logistical question for other writers out there. Tell us about the process of like, okay, I've got this poem that fits well in this book, uh-huh. and I wanna, I wanna put it in this collection. It's also really hard to write like a hundred poems, and yeah. you know, like I gotta like make this book. Um, how do you handle this uh, dilemma of like I've already published this poem at a great place like Ecstasis, uh-huh. and um, I also want to use it in my book. So you just do like. Um, you like mention them on the inside cover. Yeah. How's, how's that work? Yeah. So this is getting to like the more the business side of poetry, right. which right. I'm still learning. Um, so usually most journals and magazines, they'll ask for what's called first serial or publication rights. Mm-hmm. And so what they'll do is this poem better not appear anywhere else, but our magazine first. Mm-hmm. And usually, and usually upon that publication, the rights to the poem return back to the author. Mm-hmm. So it comes out in their magazine. Once it's published in the magazine, you retain full rights to the work. It's your work. Oh, You're not okay. signing it away. Um, and then some magazines, and you know, that's why you read all the fine print. Some of them, will, they'll ask, hey, if you publish this with us, we retain the right to like republish this in some other format or some other way. Um, and but still, you still retain the sole rights to the poem, and so mm. usually, what I tell what I tell people who I'm talking to people like who are trying to get into like poetry publishing again, something I'm still learning about. But mm-hmm. you know, kind of two years, you're further two and a half down, years. you're further down the road than some. Of yeah, us. and having yeah. learned a bit, you know, um, my recommendation is always you should before you try to put out a book, publish in some magazines first. Number one, it's a way to prove to publishers that. You, you have a readership that mm-hmm. people are interested in your work. If you just show up to a publisher with a hundred poems, right? You know they're going to ask you like, "Hey, where's your work been featured?" Not mm-hmm. because they're gatekeeping or they don't want to read your work, but it's like they also get a hundred of those manuscripts, right? And so they're saying, "Hey, listen, we got to thin this out somehow." So like, if your work has been published out, especially like like you know, especially well known publications, like it says, "Okay, so like there's there's a." Other people, oh, there's consensus that there's like there's some worth to this work here. Right. Um, again, not that it's when I say worth, I'm not saying maybe um, not artistically or aesthetically, but dollars and cents, right? That right. people will be out there who pay money to read this, right? And so it's you, that it's that clash of business and art. And yeah, those, those things don't always get along perfectly. Yeah, and I have so many thoughts on that, but for p- people starting out. Take some poems you're really confident in that you've worked through, that you've edited, that you've given some time to, and get them published in a few magazines. And but yeah, it's those poems. Even if you publish them elsewhere, you can put them in a collection later on. Um, and so yeah, that's kind of the process. It usually starts with yeah, you know, you publish them with elsewhere, and then you can kind of slot them in, you know, um, as you kind of work on new stuff. That's good, man. Yeah, that that one I that question I just asked selfishly because uh, I. I you know, have aspirations to, to publish more. And, um, that's just a like logistical question. I'm like, I'm so confused by that part of the process, you know? So. Yeah. 
and that's uh, most like most most yeah. magazines operate like that. Um, yeah. Even if you do, like publishing essays and things like that, you retain some rights. Yeah. Um, to the work. Oh, that's cool. Okay, I want to jump to uh, the poem that you are most proud of. I asked you this last time. Yeah. Um, when we when we interviewed you, is there when I say like, what's the poem you're most proud of that you think is just like, well, this is like really good, and you don't have to like be humble. You can actually say, <laughs> uh, hey, this is I'm proud of this one. I think it turned out like really well. Man, honestly, I think what I'm super proud of is a poem towards the end of the book called Tulsa. Um, not because it's any great feat of like poetic brilliance, mm-hmm. but because I wrote, I, I went to Tulsa for like a work thing. Oklahoma. Yeah, Tulsa, Oklahoma for a work thing. And on the plane back, I was like, gosh, let me just like write something, you know, let's, you know, while the, while the juices are flowing, you know, while right. the things get hot. And so I kind of wrote this down and it kind of like, when I was done, I had that moment of like, oh, this is a good poem. Like, I think for me personally, when I say good, I feel like it, it feels like me, like my voice. Mm-hmm. And I think like a lot of artists, you're always, when you begin, you're always borrowing other people's voices, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Harold Bloom calls it like the anxiety of influence, right? This, that mm-hmm. every writer is plagued by the men and women who came before them and they either mm-hmm. rise to the challenge and, 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 and are able to like move past their influences and, and do something new or they kind of like succumb and they're just you know the, they're just the, the children of these other writers. And so this was the, one of those moments where I was like, this poem feels like me in a way, not that the other poems in the book don't, but like it was just one of those moments where like, okay, like this is if people you know for some reason ever looked back and said, oh, I want to read the work of Ryan Diaz like, oh, this is I think where like, things started to coalesce for me as a poet. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I was kind of just really just proud of that moment. I don't think it's like, cause it's any, had any particular brilliance to it, but it was one of those moments I was like, huh, I think I know who I am or finding who I am as a poet. Wow. That's cool, man. Cause you had this authentic experience. Like you were in this place yourself personally and you uh, were inspired by that. Right. And that, that, for me, it always happens when I'm in a new place. It's so like fresh and leaves a deep impression on me. And I often like I gotta get something down about this while it's yeah. fresh. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. And I think yeah, if if you are a writer or even an artist of any kind, like like you have to live as if ev- everything's an opportunity to write about something, you know. And so yeah. I think it's just one of those moments too, where it's, and also like some poems just come to you, like they just appear. And this wasn't one of those poems. I think I reworked this poem multiple times, partly because, again, I think I was finding the voice. And so I, even like, you know, it's almost like a wrestling match. You kind of emerge victorious. Right. And so it was right. one of those moments. Like, I was like, okay, cool. Like, this poem didn't dominate me. Like, I have poems where, like, I'm writing it. And, like, it's just not coming. As much as I try yeah. to do to it, like, it, it keeps resisting. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't have the skill maybe to tame it right now, so I'll put it to the side. This was one of those moments where, like, okay, like, I was able to, wrestle this thing down um to a place i was proud of it you know 
You know how I know you're a poet because you're uh, talking about poetry, like uh, using personifications without <laughs> even realizing. <laughs> these poems are hard to tame, and yeah, yeah. I listen. So. I, I I don't tell anyone, but I I, I have this sm- small inkling that 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 poems are like living, breathing things. They have a life of their own, um, <laughs> they, and they can they be are. rebellious. For sure, they can. Even though you see potential in them, they're like wayward. I, yeah, they yeah. just refuse. They refuse. Um, dude, we, this, this portion of the episode, we've arrived at a new place that, uh, I'm going to call the most corny name I could come up with Cody's compliment corner. All right. Uh, because I do this when I read, uh, you know, I've talked to a few poets now on the show and I just feel like, uh, as a poet myself, I want to validate the stuff I see because, uh, it can, it can be a lonely thing to be a poet and, um, I know that you hang on every word and you choose every word carefully for every poem. And that is like a really like intimate, like put a lot of effort into this kind of thing. (laughs) And so I just wanted to give you a shout out. I mean, part of Forefront is, you know, our mission is to like encourage, encourage artists, right? Um, And to say like, this work matters. Um, So I just jotted down a few things. Um, I actually was like reading through the poems and the ones that really like, you know, punched me in the soul in a beautiful way. Yeah. Uh, I starred. I put a little star at the top of my book because I'm a heathen and I write in my books like I don't care. Um, but then I started to star like every other one. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I, can't, I can't talk to him about 45 poems uh, in the book. So um, I've tried to narrow it down to like uh, a few things that I really appreciated. If I can right. run through those. And maybe, yeah, maybe absolutely. I'll spr- sprinkle some questions in there as we go. First thing, uh, Theotokos. Am I saying that right? Theotokos? Theotokos. Theotokos. Okay, cool. Um, This poem has this line with internal rhyme that I really enjoyed. Uh, You write, quote, imbued with the dew of new creation. I mean, you could put that on a hip-hop record. That was so (laughs) so dope. I love that. Um, Imbued with the dew of new creation. Love that. Uh, The poem Kintsugi. Uh, It's this awesome poem about restoration uh sort of reminded me of that iconic romans eight twenty eight passage um in scripture all things work together for good like he, god is going to turn yeah. even even uh the horrific into good somehow right yeah uh and it reminded me we actually interviewed mako fujimura um who's a you know really yeah. important visual artist uh, in the christian community and um and beyond the christian community but he uh, is deep in his kintsugi kind of process. How did you hear about that? Yeah, I just I, 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 like you read about it somewhere or what? Like yeah, so I, I'm a you know I'm a like to think of myself as a voracious reader, and uh, yeah, I just remember one day reading Argo about the practice of of you know that kind of art form, and you know you're taking this broken thing and making mm-hmm. it beautiful and. I was like, man, if, if there's any poetic material, it's, like, yeah. right here. And so, yeah. like, I don't even remember, like, why I started to write about it. It wasn't even, like, after I read the article. It was just one of those things, like, uh-huh. you're kind of sitting at your desk. You're like, what do I write? Like, I don't know if you experienced this, but you this moment, like, what do I write about? Like, you have to write about something, right? Yeah. You, you can't yeah. just sit there. Um, inspiration's not going to strike you like, like a lightning bolt. And so I was right. like, oh, I remember this whole process of, you know, filling cracks with gold. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is kind of as poetic as, as, as an image as they come. And so it kind of just, like, yeah, just... Started yeah. writing about it, and it kind of ended up. I wish I, I, I wish I was knew more about the actual art form itself and the process. Probably would made the poem better, but the image stuck with me. 
Yeah, dude, the the Mako episode we have is is really good in that way. He goes deep into it, and um, oh, great! I had this image of like a broken pot, yeah, uh, that is like you said, like put back together, but it's filled with gold, and it's like five times more beautiful than it ever was yeah. after that that process of care and restoration. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, someone's bound to write a poem about that. So, uh, good call there. Um, so the next one I read, uh, you have a poem called "A Lesson in Prayer." Yeah, and I happened to be like pretty pretty anxious. I was having a tough day for whatever reason. I have no idea what was going on, but uh, I, I read that and I was like, "Whoa!" I like actually caught my breath and calmed down a little bit. Um, and that like the the meter and the structure and the the repetition of that one is so beautiful. It actually like literally um, reoriented like my heart. And so yeah, thanks for writing that one. I loved that one. Oh great. Um, yeah, dude noise pollution you live in new york city uh you told me last time you had like trains that go by your house like yeah that's our old apartment we had like literally the train the m train would run right next to our apartment yeah like right right outside the window right yeah yeah uh but that noise pollution one's super beautiful shows uh your the compassion you have for the city you live in um again i i can't read them all. i wish i could just read them all but uh i you know i'm trying to tease listeners to go buy this book there um, you go. <laughs> the next one uh psalm s-o-m-m-e yeah the psalm yeah yeah dude that is awesome um you got the historical illusion uh what, what does psalm mean tell our listeners yeah so obviously the battle of the psalms was one of the most violent world war one right? world war one was violent um bloody battles of world war one um it's the peak of trench warfare so you have to think these are just young men um hunkered down you know losing comrades left and right um for mm-hmm. anyone who's like a, a tolkien fan he fought in the psalm mm. um, oh i didn't know that and yeah so even like um you know if, just read some of his work and even though he kind of always distance his experience in World War One from his writing, you can't help but read some of, like, the, his grotesque visions of, of, yeah. of, like, the violence of the orcs as related to his experience in the Battle of the Somme. And so, like, for, for me, like, that... I, I had just finished maybe watching a movie about where that battle takes place, and, like, the great irony of World War One was it's, you know we're supposed to be at the pinnacle of human progress, right? The age of reason, the enlightenment. We're supposed to be leaving silly things like religion and um, myth behind. We're supposed to be heading towards, like, this eternal, you kind of, you know, human utopia, like the rise of, like, humanist thinking. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden we have one of the most violent conflicts in human history and then was quickly followed up by the other most violent conflict in human history. And so it's like... This idea of like just endless forward progress is antithetical to human experience, yeah. and so yeah. for me, I I thought I wanted to write about not not only this historical event which I didn't experience, but I have can only experience through reading about it. Reading, and, yeah. yeah, but also like that this is still happening. Like we're mm. still violence and power are still the means by which we try to build just societies. Right. And if we even look at what's happening now, like in um, Russians' invasion of Ukraine, the yeah. the the their rationale for this progress, the some more glorious future right. that if you just haven't been following the news, you know, they just uncovered in one city a mass grave with four hundred yeah. remains for yeah. four hundred people, and so you know it's amazing the things we'll tell ourselves 
yeah. in the in the in the vision in, in a vision of progress. Um, right. America's origin story is that it's the manifest destiny, right? It's like right. it's God's will for us to conquer the West, no matter no matter how many indigenous people we kill, no matter mm-hmm. how 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 much slave labor we use to get there, right? And mm-hmm. so that whole poem is kind of like this kind of gripe I have with this idea of like quote unquote progress, this illusion of progress, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and it's something you do so well um, in both books. You uh, hold up a mirror and you know, open up a window to the past, and you link whether it's thousands of years ago or a hundred years ago. You're really good at saying like, "Hey, look at this, look at this tragedy repeat itself over and over and over again throughout history." Um, and you're an Ecclesiastes man. You just told yeah. us, right? So it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. You do a great job with that, and I think that poem especially. Um, yeah, I, I I guess I'm also I'm also just like <laughs> I don't know why I'm attracted to like um, the violent imagery. Maybe maybe that says something unhealthy about <laughs> me. But but I just appreciate the raw honesty of it because it's what 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 I've experienced. You know, thank God I've not fought in a world war or experienced anything to that degree. But um, the Bible is can be very raw and be very grotesque sometimes because it's real life and it's it's honest and so anyway I, I appreciate that one it's probably why i was also like struck by this next one uh funeraria la Fay. yeah right it's this haunting one about how uh this the speaker i don't know if you actually lived above a funeral yeah, home we or did what, when we first oh, got married we lived above a funeral home so the story goes so my aunt who's not really my aunt you know i'm puerto rican and in the hispanic community like you know you got aunts and cousins and stuff like that that aren't really aunts and cousins. So yeah, my yeah, aunt, yeah. quote unquote, who's actually just my, she's just my best friend's mom. Yeah. Um, she, her family owns a funeral home and they own like apartments above it. It's like four apartments above it. Mm-hmm. And that's very common in New York City, especially if you live on like a main street. You're usually living above something. You're living above a store, a restaurant, whatever. This happened to be a funeral home. And so... You know, we would have these moments with either you could look out the window and you could see them bringing bodies in because they used to do the whole embalming process there, things like mm. that. Um, and then also, too, like you could actually like hear funerals if you were listening really carefully. And I remember this one distinct moment, which maybe was like the I thought it was interesting to write a poem about. It. I remember one moment we were sitting in our living room, my wife and I just married, you know, we're having like we're just chilling, hanging out. And we hear like wailing, just like, a romantic night at home. Yeah, with the roman- newlyweds. candles lit, newlyweds, <laughs> and we just hear oh like wailing. And at first, like I, I'll be very honest, and maybe this says a lot about me, but I had like this laughing attack because like it's just so out of place, right? Whenever you see something that shouldn't be, it either scares you or you, you have to deal with it with humor because it's like yeah. I'm sitting in my home relaxing, I shouldn't be here, like the most guttural wailing. Oh my gosh! But we looked outside, you know, it's 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 a funeral, you know, they're right. they're, they're mourning the loss of someone they love dearly and of course you, you kind of sober up and realize what you're experiencing but i just remember that moment of like it was very voyeuristic it was very yeah. we were kind of looking at these people a very intimate moment where they're mourning the loss of a loved one but completely disconnected from it at the same time yeah and there's yeah. this there's a sense in which we that's kind of also like the human experience where we watch tragedy and, and happen all around us, but we're completely cut off from it if it doesn't right. directly impact us. Right. And we are like the voyeurs kind of staring out the window, looking at the people yeah. who are lining up for a funeral. And for right. you, it's just another Tuesday. For them, it's the day they're burying someone they love. 
Right. And it's very interesting, like, what do we do in those moments? Like, yeah, like dude. what's the role of empathy? And, yeah. and also, too, like, when are we also just powerless to do anything about it, you know? Yeah, and, like, how much empathy can you have? I mean, if you read the news every morning, you should be crying every day. You should be yeah. wailing and lamenting for the world. And, and we just don't have that capacity, like most yeah. of us, right? And for uh, some of us, it's just very, we just, all we can do is look. All yeah. we can do is watch on. And right. sometimes in horror, sometimes we're just desensitized. Yeah. Yeah, from the poem says, uh, the we could hear through the wails, we could hear their wails through the walls, the weeping and groaning of loss, and every so often we listened and heard a vague impression of eulogy. We lived above a funeral home. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's not the whole poem, but um, the vague impression of eulogy. That one, because you you've heard you've heard something, you've eavesdropped on something yeah. through the other side of a wall. And you're like, I know what's happening, but I can't make out every word. Like that yeah. just that image really struck. And also because that that person, it, that person both literally is someone I don't know, right? But right. also for the people gathered there, that body is something they don't know because yeah. it's bereft of the person that inhabited it. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, the so, the irony of like you yeah. you don't know this person, you're a stranger, but you're kind of part of the most in, one of the most intimate moments of their whole existence, yeah. which is the the end of it. So. Uh, Crazy man, yeah, that's just a rich, a rich poem right there. Uh, fishing, childhood memory. Um, so, you know, you're playing with this idea of like how we don't appreciate childhood, like in the moment, or how it's hard to, and we we look back and we see like, oh, my dad or like this, my grandpa or this loved one was trying to teach me a really important lesson, and I didn't get it until 20 years later or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, that's just that's just a good poem. Um, the sacrifice poem, man. The poem called Sacrifice. I think yeah. that's what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Can you just give us a quick summary of what happens in that poem? Yeah. So it's based on a, something that really happened. My father and I went camping. Um, and so, you know, we, I guess, had forgot to bring like a tarp to go under a tent. Something had happened in the middle of the night, it started mm-hmm. pouring rain. Right. And so you know, the rain started to like seep into the tent. And so right. I, I must have been, I was young. I was maybe nine, eight or nine, maybe. My father, you know, uh, we could, we had nowhere to go. And so he kind of just kind of put me on top of him and like wrapped me in whatever dry blanket he had. And you know, it was this moment of like the sacrificial kind of things we do for others. But then also reflecting back on that it's really not about him it's about like would i do that for someone else mm. would i lay myself down like the line is lay myself down like an island like it would would i be that and i think that's a real question to ask ourselves i think many and i know speaking for myself we we're enamored with with stories of sacrifice and valor mm-hmm. and yeah or just we see extending love and charity to someone and then we never go further enough to ask the real question, which is like, would I do that myself, put mm. in the same position? Wow. And if we're honest, I have this moment like, I don't, like, would I? Wow. Um, and obviously, in the example given the poem, it's obviously a child and the father, so there's some motivation there. But like, mm-hmm. I think the bigger question is, if it was a stranger who was soaked would you, would you sacrifice for them? And so it's mm. really less about the sacrifice itself, but like, our response to it do we are we willing to respond in some way to the sacrifice and freeze on another's behalf yeah to quote, yeah 
Well, I, th- that is, I guess, if I had to pick one, that'd be my favorite poem in the whole book, this oh, one. Oh, wow, great. Um, just because it's like, yeah, dude, it's got a clear like message there. You know what you're writing about. It's a good question. It's a timeless question. And um, also it has the best simile in the whole book, man. <laughs> but, but, like the best simile I've heard in a while. This is when you wake up in the middle yeah. of uh, the, the rainy, right? I remember shivering in the dark, teeth rattling in my head like maracas. Oh, dude. <laughs> the teeth like maracas, that got me. I was like, oh, that's a great. I just like, it's one of those where I'm like, why didn't I think of that? That's a great simile. <laughs> so oh, good, man. That you yeah. it. Love that one. Um, okay, we're still rolling here, man. Um, and believe it or not, I cut this down a lot. So uh, <laughs> Great. On, on Speaking is just a great poem. Dissects uh, strange act of speaking that we just take for granted. Right, like yeah. this idea that like we just like move our tongues and mouths and make these noises and people understand us and you do what you often do, which is like you look beneath the surface and examine that. And so that one is awesome. Similar with uh, speech act theory. Um, yeah, both of those just really like tear the curtain back and get get nosy about the why. Yeah, um, and I love that. Uh, last one I'll mention: uh, vinification, which I. Like a few of the titles, I just opened up the Google browser. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> uh, and um, I should have known this one because I know uh, Vin is, you know, a wine in a lot of languages and Vino, you know. So yeah. uh, vinification means making wine, right? So, yeah. uh, but you draw a metaphor here about like writing and like the grapes. Like when you make wine, you got to grow grapes and the grapes are the words. And it takes time for wine to become excellent. And sometimes it takes a poem some time uh to become excellent and if we if we take the metaphor all the way uh sometimes you got to pray for a long time before you even know if god is going to respond to that so yeah. uh that's just an awesome poem but it did it did make me wonder you said you don't like editing you don't like revising you said this in the last uh yeah in in the last interview you revise but it's not your favorite part right so yeah. um do you have poems that you leave alone for a year or two and then come back and, and revisit them with fresh eyes? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Um, I think never as long as a year, um, but I think there's like ideas I think I hold off on. Like I'll get an idea to write about something and I'll say, I just don't have it yet to write about this. Like mm-hmm. I have I either, I have to mature as a person I have to mature in my craft or I just don't have the language for it right now. I think that's the weird thing about being a writer, whether it's, you know, prose or poetry is like you can have an I- an idea for something, but then you have to turn that idea into yeah. a yeah. reality. And mm-hmm. then all you have to use are words. Yeah. And so I think for me, part of that poem was about the pro it's about the process of making, obviously, but it's also, yeah, that, 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 that process takes time. It also takes this breaking, right? Like, to make grapes, you have to stand in, like, those vats and yeah. stamp out the grapes to get all the juice out. Like, it's, a, it's again, going back to talking about violence, it's a violent process. Yeah. Um, and then you also read left with this, with this red liquid, you know, kind yeah. of at the yeah. end. So, reminiscent of blood. And so, there's also this kind of breaking that needs to happen. That's something that, that sometimes you do that with, like, the language itself, right? Like, you... You you, you, you you squeeze these words for all they're worth, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Or something, it's you, you the one who needs to be squeezed and crushed um, 
to produce something better. And so yeah. that's the kind of the process. Ironically, it's the process of violence that produces this beautiful thing we call wine. Mm-hmm. And it's the process of applying pressure and time mm-hmm. to, 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 to language and then also to yourself as a writer that you produce things. And so I think like, it's okay, I think, to admit that writing is an act of humility because it's calling us to some sort of maturity. We become mm. better as we do it more, but we also become better because we live more and our perspectives mm. grow. And mm. the, 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 the thing you wanted to write about three years ago, you're going to write about in a completely different way now that you're older. And I think right. part of writing is the wisdom of knowing when to write and when not to write, mm. when to hold off and say, I'm going to come back to this because mm-hmm. I know I don't got the stuff yet. I know yeah. I don't have the maturity yet to tackle this in a way that's going to be reflective of what I really want to do. Yeah. Wow. And the, that crushing of the grapes, not unlike uh, our own sanctification even of being like pressure put on us and over time and patience and a little bit of you know, crushing that, that we grow more excellent, uh, with wisdom. All oh, that's so good, man. Such a rich, rich metaphor. So I'm going to stop there with my, uh, I hope you enjoyed your stay at Cody's compliment corner. I hope you feel encouraged. I'm very um, encouraged. <laughs> hope you're, I hope you're already thinking about, uh, ideas for your next, uh, your third book of poetry. Um, man, part of your testimony, uh, especially in that, that uh, preface for your fir- first book was that um, that first book came out of a place where you were um, dealing with, uh, if not depression, uh, at least, you know, like s- some real spiritual malaise and um, kind of wandering and aimlessness. And that was a really hard season for you. Uh, but now you've like the Lord's used that at least partially to produce like these two great books. And it's a huge accomplishment, man. I mean, like sincere congratulations as someone who, who often feels like they're underachieving with this, um, this calling. Uh, it's really cool to see someone just like go for it and do it and make it happen. So, uh, I guess we'll, we'll wrap up with like, what encouragement do you have to other writers? Yeah, that's a great, great question. I think, um, I think first I would say is you have to you have to love it you have to and I, I, that by that at this point that's almost a cliche if it's not already a cliche but I think it's true I think you know there's a great question I forgot where I read it but um, it's the difference like, difference between do you want to be published or do you want to write oh and there's a lot of people who love the idea of being a writer. Mm-hmm. Right, it's, it's one of those romantic professions mm-hmm. where people romanticize it, and like they, everyone dreams about, you know, one day I'm gonna be away, and I'm gonna get struck with inspiration in a weekend. I'm gonna write like the next great American novel. Yeah, that's yeah. not how writing works. And if yeah. it does, please tell me what you did because yeah. I want to know. <laughs> and so I think for me, I think you have to like love the craft. You have to be willing to do it for no reward. Yeah. Um, because that's when you really love something. I think we live in a context 
especially because of the internet. And I hate to be like, I feel I was blaming the internet for things, but it's true in which we're always thinking about like monetizing things. And so yeah. a lot of people who want to start writing, their first thought is like, when will I publish? How will I get this out to people? Should I start an Instagram page? Should Marketing. Should I start a YouTube? Yeah. What, yeah, let, yeah. Me, let me sign up for a Substack, right? And like, it's all that stuff, like, it's all well and good, but like, would you write for yourself? Like, if you had nothing else to do, if you had no other option, if you were home alone, would you open up a blank notebook and start mm-hmm. doodling stuff now? So I think mm-hmm. part one, like, you have to like love it. And then also, I think too, it's writing's not writing's hard, and yeah. it's hard because it's a it's it requires a lot of you. It requires a lot of facing the self and your ability, and and so I think like in order to get well at do well at that there's this aspect of discipline that needs where you have to treat it like a job and i think i said this before yeah. last time we chatted but like you have to tr- you have to treat writing like like you were a plumber right like you have to show up go to work fix the thing go home say hi to your family go to bed like right it's there are as much as i love to believe in the idea of the muses speaking to us like it's mostly just your it's you in the blank page and your repertoire of words and skills and like mm. then you have to just go and do it and then you do that enough you get better at get it get better yeah um and listen i think anyone could be a good writer I, I i do of the belief that like hey listen there's some people who are just great writers and mm-hmm. nothing else like who's going to account for shakespeare right like you you mm-hmm. just there's no dante right like they're on a, maybe a different stratosphere and maybe mm-hmm. that's just just god-given ability right but the rest of us got to work and yeah. the rest of us got to put the time in. And I think third piece of advice, again, the first two being very cliche, but I think still worth hearing. I think thirdly, I think you write what you know. Again, another cliche, but I think it's true. I think we're I think so desperate sometimes to be other people. Yeah. And yeah. so sometimes in our writing, we try to like write about the things we admire, but things we don't know. And I think, mm. this listen, it doesn't mean you... There would be no fantasy authors if you couldn't write about things you didn't know. Obviously, you can write about things you don't know intimately. But when I say write about things you know, like, do you, if you know loss, write about loss. If you know great triumph, write about great triumph. The How you talk about those things is neither here nor there, but, like, you have to know these things intimately. And so even like that's why I think for me you can write about the Battle of the Somme, right? Because I I did not fight in it. I don't know anyone who fought in it. All my knowledge of it comes from books. But I do know something about violence that leaves the world disordered, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's my own violence I commit against myself mm-hmm. um because of sin or the violence I commit against others um with my words or my my my, my even what you even saying even your thoughts, right? Like there's this mm-hmm. sense in which so like I know about that great struggle, and so I can write about it even though I've never been to the Battle of Psalm. But I think it, in that way, is writing is, is personal, and you have to draw on those things and not. And if you feel you have nothing to draw on, you're not asking good questions of your life. Yeah, I think you you don't need an incredible story to write incredible stories. You yeah, normal human life is just as strange yeah. and weird and wild if you look hard enough. Right. And so I think yeah, just write write. Start writing about the things you know about and see what happens. Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. This is a, a little bit turning into Cody's therapy session, but I really <laughs> like I really resonated, especially I, I think uh, it takes some time to work through some insecurities. Like once you get over the fact that like, 
wait, do I, am I good at writing? Will this be rejected? I mean, you got to be okay with rejection, first of all. And also what you said about like, do, would I want to write even if I knew it would never be published? And I think once I like over years wrestled with this idea that I'm still going to be drawn to write, like, I feel like I got to get it out of me. I'm still going to want to do that. Even if, uh, it's never published, even if, you know, that thing you tell yourself like, ah, well, this may not ever get published, but maybe someday someone will discover this Google document with all my work in it and I'll be celebrated like uh, Van Gogh after, you know, I won't be around for it, but who knows, maybe that could happen. So I had asked myself, even if that doesn't happen, are you still going to write? And I'm like, yeah, I I want to. And it's good to pursue the, you know, if you, if you want to pursue it and publish and market and advertise and submit, do all that stuff is all well and good. But I think at the core, you got to have this like, no, man, I just call to the over and over again. My mind is wired to, you know, just just create this way. So, yeah. And even just to echo off like the idea, like the question, am I good? Mm. Like that question never goes away. Like you can own, but the only way to answer that question is to keep doing it, which is like the catch 22 of it. Yeah. It's like every writer, I think, is is insecure in some ways. And so you only get you only you can only combat your insecurity by writing and mm-hmm. um you know hopefully there's some validation maybe from peers and things like that right that's always really grateful but like you know i i've had the privilege to write two poetry books i've a privilege to publish essays and things like that and i still like have moments of like oh like i like i'm right now working on a novel um that's so it's like half novel half memoir half something i don't know whoa but yeah and so like i'm i'm editing the first draft right now and i'm reading through it and like give most like you just put it closer like i don't is this even good will people even enjoy this and like only way to combat that is to go back to it and keep Mm. doing it Mm. so good man truly encouraging man i I hope uh you feel encouraged the gang at forefront is behind you man we love you you, support you. you guys and uh yeah i did really appreciate all the time you gave us today absolutely Um, yeah i'm gonna sign us out and then ryan is uh generously offered even though you guys may not have bought his book yet which you should do immediately (laughs) wherever books are sold um it's called skipping stones it's fantastic so grab a copy he is going to out of the goodness of his heart read uh a poem he selected i don't know which one it is um uh, but before he does that, I'm going to officially sign us out here. Thank you so much for listening to the Forefront 360 podcast. If you enjoy the show, leave us a little rate and review uh, to help other people discover the show. Um, until next time, keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art. This is a poem from a series of poems in the book called Departure. Just the birds... The river frozen over, my words suspended in the winter air, the chimney smoke rising like incense, the silence heavy with fervent prayer. Leave me to the trails, the icons hidden in leaves, the specters of holy men rising to meet me from the shadows cast along the forest ochre floor. And there, the city looming gray, giants made of steel, imposing themselves on the skies as if to remind us of Babel, of hubris, of the serpent's final words, banished to the wilds, 
exiled from Eden, just beyond the cloister, back in the world.